This is Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that poses the question, we all have mental health, how's yours? I'm licensed marriage and family therapist and host, Justin Lewis. Today's episode is going to focus on trauma within childhood and the resilience that's involved with that. With me to discuss this is Jamie Like. Jamie works within the school systems and has a presentation she gives about childhood trauma from a firsthand experience called A Girl Named Sue. I was so happy to digitally meet Jamie. This actually uh, happened before we were in the current situation we are uh, where everything is being done digitally. So this was kind of a, a test run to what I've been doing for the past few months. She was really patient with me as we figured this out, and little did we know we would be doing this a lot more uh, just a a little bit later than our interview happened. So here is my uh, interview with Jamie Like. Before that, I want you to know that this episode is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health, and taking care of it cannot wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers, in addition to -to face-to-face, online counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Also, this month, we are offering a free listener resource, which is an ebook called 10 Questions to Ask Before Starting Counseling. So, uh, in order to get that copy, go ahead and go to the show notes and you'll have a link to that. So, here is my interview with Jamie Like. Today, we're going to focus on the, the trauma part. Uh, we're going to talk about the childhood trauma, which you were. Uh, obviously very qualified to do with the way that you um, spend your time as a professional. Could you uh, talk a little bit about how you became passionate about the uh, childhood trauma? Absolutely. Um, So I was a kid who experienced a lot of trauma uh, growing up and I went through uh, a lot of things that a lot of the kids we work with go through. Um, there was a history of physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. Uh, I was in a foster care placement. Um, so I, I went through a lot as a kid and I struggled a lot um, in my teenage years and I struggled a lot in my early 20s. Um, and I about eight years ago, I was at a conference in Kentucky, and there was a physician um, from Kentucky who was talking about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Um, and up to that point, I really had not heard a lot of anything about ACEs, and so it was new information to me. And uh, part of what she did that day in sharing about ACEs is she gave everyone the ACE test, the ACE quiz to take. And so along with the other folks in the audience, um, I took that as well. And I ended up with a score of um, seven. And what I learned that day was statistically, you know, that with my score of seven compared to someone else who, you know, didn't have any ACEs or maybe had a score of one, that statistically that I would die approximately 20 years younger Uh, than my counterpart who didn't have those adverse childhood experiences. And it blew me away. It it blew me away. Um, 
So that's kind of what started me on the path. Um, my initial reaction was I was angry. I was like, so let me get this straight. I went through all of this as a kid, and now on top of all of that, you right. know, st statistically, I'm going to die younger than someone who didn't. How does that make any sense? Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, isn't this, I thought this was over, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so it was like a double whammy. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that moment on, I just became very interested in childhood trauma and not so much the trauma, but how kids bounce back from that. Like, what do we do to mitigate the damage? Um, and so I have spent the last seven or eight years really, you know, soaking in every bit of training um, that I can and just any bit of information that I can um, to see what we can do with that. So today I feel hopeful where I didn't about eight years ago because okay. I know that we can mitigate um, a lot of that damage and you know sure. I know about the neuroplasticity of the brain and you know just mm -hmm. some of those things um, that make me feel very hopeful uh, about you know the future and the future for kids yeah so a couple of directions to go from here one thing I want to do is to uh, like clear up for the listeners a little bit more about this uh, ACEs test that you took you mentioned that you got a seven Many sure. people don't know if that's good or bad. So that, is that out of, how many is that out of? Uh, that's out of 10, okay. and it's bad. Right, right, right. Yes. <laughs> many people don't know if that's like 7 out of 100 so, or 7 out of, <laughs> so 7 out of 10, and that's obviously very bad. 7 out of 10, right. Yeah. Um, and ACEs, uh, it was a study that was done originally through the Centers for Disease Control and Kaiser mm -hmm. Permanente. And about 17, 18,000 people were involved in the study. And it was a lot of just kind of average, middle-of-the-road people. Uh, a lot of the people had, you know, high school and or some college education. Um, a lot of the people were Caucasian. A lot of the people were from, um, you know, middle-income kind of backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And what they found was um, that there was a significant tie between uh, childhood experiences of trauma and health risks and health-related problems and issues through the anti So Dr. Robert Anda uh, was one of the principal investigators in the study. And so, um, again, they found that the more adverse childhood experiences that someone experiences, um, that the more likely you are to have a lifetime of health risks and issues down the line. For example, um, people with high A scores are more likely to um, be depressed. They're more likely to have suicide attempts. They're more likely mm -hmm. to engage in drug and alcohol abuse. They're more likely to have heart disease. They're more likely to develop cancers. Um, so it's, it's a whole laundry list of things that um, can really add up and lead to some poor health outcomes for people. Yeah. So the initial study was, was focused on the, uh, the physical piece of this. Whereas now you have taken kind of some of that and decided you're going to focus on the emotional side. Would that be a, a correct statement? Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. You, you know, I'm trying to figure I mean, obviously out. They're, t they're tied together, obviously. That's right. the basis of the whole study. Right. But as far as the treatment modality goes, um, your area of expertise is in that uh, emotional side of it. 
Well, yes. I mean, that's my area of interest, certainly. Right. Um, and that is something that I focus on is, you know, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't change any of the health out- outcomes from uh, a physician's point of view. But if I do all my research and I learn that I can help change with corrective relationships, you know, the trajectory that a child is on, mm-hmm. like, that's huge. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I personally am a systems thinking therapist. So, I mean, that falls in line with the idea that uh, relationships are going to have an impact past uh, just that direct interaction that the way that we um, experience things growing up is going to have a a long lasting effect on us. And I think this is just another piece of evidence that can back that up. Sure. So part of your um, presentation is personal, right? You, yes. You talk about some of your experience. Yes, absolutely. And um, so obviously you are comfortable sharing your story, so I'm not asking you to do anything that you haven't done in other venues. Sure. Um, and so I was wondering how much of that you would like to um, disclose here and uh, maybe share how that can help you whenever it comes to to treating other people and it may help other people who are listening to this and may have some similar experiences know what direction to take and then maybe also share a little bit about you said in your early adulthood you really struggled a lot and so it sounds like maybe some of the um, responses to those stressors were not ones that you would find to be healthy I don't know. I'm kind of assuming a little bit, but um, it's kind of the impression I got based on what you were saying. So, um, so yeah. So what kind of um, way would you like to share about your experience? Um, I, I'm very comfortable in sharing with you. um, When I was, when I was first born, I was the, uh, the youngest of three kids and my, biological parents uh, were married and uh, my understanding is their relationship was on pretty shaky ground um, leading up to my birth Um, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't long after that that they ended up they split and um, at the time that that happened they both kind of went their separate ways and they essentially abandoned uh, myself my brother and my sister at that Mm -hmm. time so we ended up being taken in by grandparents. So my brother and I were taken in by my paternal grandparents and my sister was taken in by my maternal grandparents. And so from there until about age five, um, I just remember, you know, being very happy and being loved and just, you know, things were good. Um, and around age five, we got a notice to go to court. And at that point, both parents had remarried and were trying to get us back. And so the end result of that court case was that my brother and I ended up um, going to live with my mom and my then stepdad, who was a stranger to me at that time. Um, and then my sister stayed with my paternal grandparents. Um, 
And so I moved to Anderson, Indiana from my hometown of Vincennes. And, uh, you know, I had a brand new sister when I got there. She was a baby and I had another one on the way. Um, and my mom and my stepdad, uh, they fought a lot. And unusual for them to scream, to yell, to hit. It wasn't un unusual for the police to be called. Um, just a lot of things like that happened fairly mm -hmm. routinely. Um, and it wasn't too long after I started living there that my mom started becoming physically and verbally abusive uh, to me as well. Um, and that was a pattern that went on for many years. So it wasn't unusual for my mom to hit me. It wasn't unusual for her to punch me. It wasn't unusual for her to kick me, uh, to pull me off the ground by the head of my hair, literally. Um, you know, she said a lot of things that were very hurtful. She said things like, I hate you. I wish that you, you know, were never born. Um, you're ugly. And so I routinely got a lot of very negative messages. Um, in, uh, ele not elementary, in middle school, I had an incident where I went over to a best friend's house to go bike riding with her. And my best friend wasn't there. And another girl was there who I you know, sort of knew just from school, but we didn't hang out. And mm -hmm. so we went on a bike ride together and that ended up being kind of a pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. So that bike ride, as we were driving by the bike or riding by the church on our bikes, the youth group window was open and it was in a basement of the church. And so I had the bright idea like, Hey, let's go in there. There's a soda machine down there. Let's just like go in there and hang out. And so, so we did. And uh, that resulted in about an hour later when we were leaving, that resulted in some police officers uh, coming to the door and, you know, having weapons held pointing toward us, you know, saying freeze. So when we had crawled through the window, some uh, neighbors next door had seen that and rightly so called the police, you know, they were to no good. Um, so that led to me being taken to the police department. And um, I was terrified as to what would happen. So essentially they called my mom and um, she, when she took me home, I didn't know what was going to occur. Um, and she didn't really hurt me or hit me at that point, which was kind of unusual, but she just shamed me. You know, I just, you know, made the whole family look terrible and I was an embarrassment and, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so it was at that point that she decided that I needed to go to Florida for the summer and um, stay the summer with my biological father and stepmother. And I had been around them maybe once or twice, you know, as a kid growing up, um, but really did not know them at all. Um, so she sent me there that summer. So I was in Jacksonville, Florida. And before she sent me there, she said, you know, your dad ought to have a lot of fun with you. And she said, oh, maybe you're too old for that. And I really had no idea what she was talking about. So I had been there a short amount of time and my biological father started sexually abusing me. Mm -hmm. And what I learned later was that he had also sexually abused my older sister uh, when she was a baby. And so I was there for about two and a half years and, um, the abuse continued for that time. Um, and it finally culminated when I shared with a best friend who shared with her mother what was going on. And um, that led to a series of, you know, chain 
reaction kind of things that happened. And so in a very short amount of time, um, literally overnight, I was back um, in Vincennes in my hometown. Um, and I was with, again, I was with my mom and my stepdad. Um, they were going to take it to court, but we were going to have to leave Indiana on the uh, on a moment's notice and go to Florida. And so that never did um, come to fruition. Um, I'd been home about a month. I came back in October, so around Thanksgiving-ish. Um, my mom announced at Thanksgiving that I was a whore and a slut and that everything that had happened uh, had been my fault. And shortly after that, I ended up going to live, or going to stay, I guess I should say, um, with my best friend, uh, the same friend whose house I rode to years earlier on my bike. Um, I got a knock at the door one day uh, from a social worker with DCBS, and she indicated that mom had gone to the courts um, and was going to give me up, and that I needed to get prepared uh, to go into foster care. And so this was like a Monday. And so she came back on a Friday to come and get me. Um, and at that time I didn't go into a foster home, but I went into like a youth care home. Um, it was really interesting because it was typically for kids who had, uh, who were in trouble with the law rather than kids who were, uh, finding themselves, you know, the victims of, trauma. Of course, now looking back on it, they probably were too, but um, they were there for, you know, doing major crimes. And I was there because my mom was going to give me up basically. Um, so I was there a week or two. I had a family who I volunteered to be my foster parents. And so I went to live with them. Uh, they had a boatload of kids. They were fantastic, awesome people who I still have some contact with today. And uh, I stayed with them. Uh, right around the time I graduated high school, I also, um, at 17, I went back to court and I was emancipated. Um, and so I always did well in school. I did well academically. I never got in trouble. You know, I was a good kid, if you will. Um, but I struggled emotionally a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I had a lot of negative um, thinking about myself. Um, I struggled um, with depression. I struggled with, you know, thoughts of, you know, wanting to get revenge and, you know, hurt people that had hurt me. I struggled with, you know, doing things that were harmful to myself. Mm -hmm. um, in my very early 20s, around the age of 21, uh, things kind of culminated for me in a suicide attempt, uh, which led to me being in cardiac critical care for three days. And what came out of that experience for me was not, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to be miserable. And I didn't know mm -hmm. that I didn't have to be. Right. Because you don't know what you don't know. Sure. So um, that really was a turning point for me. I had been in counseling prior, but I spent most of that time then trying to outsmart the counselor. Right. Yeah. So at this point, when I went back to counseling, I took it seriously mm -hmm. um, and I did the work and um, so it's been a long long journey and um, mm -hmm. I ended up uh, coming to work again as I said in the school system about 19 years ago uh, I had spent many years working in mental health but I had always avoided working with kids because uh, I thought that it was going to be too hard 
um, you know, that I wouldn't be able to be able to work with some kids who have experienced trauma or something similar and then go home and be able to be okay with it. Right. Um, and Could so be, uh, I have a hard time not projecting. Yeah. Yeah. So I really kind of stumbled into the school system. Literally I'd been working uh, as a case manager with a counseling agency in town um, the year prior. And they were like, Hey, you know, you've done some good work here and we're going to have a, a counselor position open up and we want you to apply for it. And I was like, me? No, you don't need me. There are plenty of other people, you know, so it was kind of one of those things. And, right. um, but anyway, I ended up applying and I interviewed and they offered it to me and I thought they were crazy. And, um, that was in 2001. Um, and a couple months into my, uh, career in the school system, 9-11 happened and, you know, oh, yeah. I, I was, you know, it took me about two, three months in and I was like, oh my God, this is what I was always supposed to do. Mm-hmm. you know, working with kids. And um, so I think one of the things I've been able to do with kids over the years is just share with them that, you know, where you come from doesn't dictate where you're going, right? So mm-hmm. it's to do with where we're at, but it doesn't dictate where we're going. And right. so having those conversations with kids, being able to see the light in the tunnel for kids when they can't see it themselves, um, you know, that's been something that's been powerful. Um, and then the last several years, as I've learned more about ACEs and I've learned just the power of positive, corrective relationships with students, you know, I understand how they can end up being okay. I understand how I ended up being okay. Cause I had a lot of, you know, even though a lot of my family members were abusive, I also had a lot of really positive people in my life, uh, particularly in school growing up. And, and so I, I can trace back now like, Oh, that's, kind of how I'm okay now or that's mm. you know so it's been really cool it's been a cool journey so yeah yeah it so sounds like nutshell. It. right yeah well thank you for sharing your nutshell that's uh, uh I mean that's a story that proves that uh, the power of resilience and absolutely uh, so uh, and then being able to recognize those people along the way that provided the support for you is important in that healing process as well. Absolutely. So um, I guess kind of um, not completely shifting from your experience, but uh, maybe talking a little bit more generally um, about how trauma as a child can affect a person as an adult. Um, Because one of the things you said uh, whenever you took the ACE, uh, ACEs test was when you found out that your probability for having a shorter lifespan was like, wait, this is still with me. Like, right. I thought this was over when I, right. maybe when you emancipated, it's like, wait, I thought I had escaped and this whole thing was behind me. And now yes. it's always in front of me. Um, yes. So maybe talk a little bit more about how adults are, impacted by childhood traumas, maybe even in some ways that conventional wisdom uh, may not even show. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the big ways that uh, trauma affected me, and I think it um, affects a lot of other people, is in relationships. Mm -hmm. So as a kid and um, for the better part of my early life in any type of relationship, whether that was a romantic relationship, a friendship, um, just some adult in my life, mm-hmm. you 
always waited for the to drive. Um, and so I, you know, kids assume that when they've grown up in trauma, that something bad is always going to happen. And so I, that's what I did. And, um, you know, I hope I don't do that anymore, but I spent several years doing that. So making that assumption ahead of time. And so I think a lot of trauma survivors end up sabotaging uh, the relationships that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have that thinking, like, I know this is going to turn out terrible at some point anyway. So I might as well like do it on my terms instead of letting chance. Happen. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's a lot. Um, our thinking pattern is if, if I push this person away, they can't push me away. So it's going to hurt less. Absolutely. Whether Absolutely. that's a, a conscious or subconscious approach, yes. that's the way that it can go. So I, I did a lot of that. Um, I uh, got in relationships that weren't healthy. Um, kind of the first person who I truly, truly loved was an alcoholic. And I did not realize that initially at the time, like even what that meant. Um, but I found myself wanting to, I found myself being drawn to people who were not good for me and not being drawn to people who were good for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the opposite of, of what one would hope. Um, I had a very, um, negative view, uh, outlook on life, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, didn't really trust a lot of people. Um, and I think that that's very common for survivors. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I think it's very common for survivors when they hear positives from people to think that that's disingenuous, um, that, you know, there's oh, yeah. some reason they're saying that other than that being, true because it can't be true and um so a struggle there mm-hmm. um academically you know school was a safe zone for me and i know that that's true for a lot of kids you know mm-hmm. that was the one place that i knew seven and a half eight hours a day where someone was not going to be hurting me in some way mm-hmm. um and so that was definitely like a safe place for me um, I know that's not true for all trauma survivors, but I do know for a lot of the kids that I've worked with over the years, you know, they dread, you know, the summer breaks, the Christmas breaks, the Thanksgiving breaks, because that's when they go back to the abuse and the neglect and all those things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so is school uh, performance higher? I had never heard anything about this sort of um, area before, but was there any sort of research on that? You know, I really, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's just yeah. from my own experience. I think that, sure. um, you know, I think that that's a possibility. Something be something interesting to take a look at. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, there was a time in my early twenties, you know, I was smoking pot. I was doing, you know, I went through a cocaine phase. I mean, I was doing some pretty unhealthy things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was any doing, way you could to escape, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so it was, you know, it was a tough time and it can be a tough time uh, for victims of trauma. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's so many costs to being a victim of trauma, you know, whether that is the time that you were act- actually victimized, the time that you spend trying to you know, get help for that, the time that you spend ruminating about that, you know, Mm -hmm. the physical things that come out of that, the emotional things that come out of that, there's a huge cost. Um, You know, I saw a study, this was probably four or five months ago, I saw a study when I was trying to put things together for uh, one of my presentations, and they actually attached um, uh, a numerical cost to 
um, to child abuse and neglect. And that was really the first time I had seen that, mm-hmm. like some numbers kind of, um, and it, and it sort of blew me away and it made yeah. a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, when I think about, you know, I think about a lot about Kentucky because I live and work in Kentucky. And um, when the national data came out uh, about a year ago, Kentucky was ranked as having the highest child abuse rates in the nation. Mm. The nation, followed closely by Indiana with second highest, which we border. Henderson, Kentucky borders Evansville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So it is alarming to me. And that is including all sorts of um like sexual, physical neglect, right. all of those right. included in that study. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, to think that I live and work in an area where we have some of the highest ch- child abuse rates in the nation. Um, it also me, you know, we have to do something about this. We have to do something. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, where I spend a lot of time talking to people, whether it's in my current job as a speaker, um, you know, relationships, you know, just community people, that kind of thing, the power of positive, corrective relationships. You know, if we just do that one thing, you know, have those positive relationships with these kids, that in and of itself is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we miss that a lot. not only as people in mental health, but just people in society as general. Sometimes we'll look at a child as being broken or we'll say, oh my gosh, that kid doesn't have a chance. And mm-hmm. yeah, they do connect with them, have a good mm-hmm. positive relationship with them. You know, you could be the one who makes that difference for that child. Um, and I think that's incredibly important. So when you say we have to do something about this, um, having a positive impact on a child just in day-to-day interactions? What other things would you say need to be done? Um, I guess we can look on the macro level, but also on the um, micro level of what each person can do uh, about this problem. Right. Um, I think whatever our role is, whether we are a parent Um, a teacher, a counselor, a bus driver, a lunch lady, you know, whatever we are doing um, that we can positively reach out and connect with kids. I think the biggest, uh, one of the biggest downfalls or one of the biggest things we could do uh, in trying to develop a a relationship with a child who's experienced trauma is not following through with what we say we're going to do. So, you know, being very consistent Um, You know, you don't have to be a mental health professional to help a child who has experienced significant trauma. What you do have to do is to be real, to be steady, have that connection with them, and don't harm them more than they've already been harmed. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I just, I think anybody can make a difference in a child's life. You know, Um, I just believe that wholeheartedly. So Mm -hmm. whether that's you know, connecting with a kid and, you know, being a big brother, big sister, like through an organization or, um, you know, through the school setting. Again, that part I don't think is so much important as having that good quality relationship, um, a healthy relationship. And, you know, I realize in saying that, that not everybody knows what that means either. Um, But, you know, having those healthy boundaries uh, with children and, you know, being able um, to let them sometimes make mistakes too, um, mm-hmm. because that's how we learn. Um, so, 
I'm sorry I'm rambling at this point, but that's okay. It's hard yeah. to have a. I mean, if it was an easy problem, it'd be solved, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a there's always uh, room for growth, and um, really, as far as day to day sort of things, we can only try to help provide support for people that may be unfortunately experiencing trauma at home. Um, Absolutely. Because we can't be inside the home to stop it. Um, I guess being one, one way to try to curb it overall, I guess would be to report, right? Is because oh, there's absolutely. more reporting to be done. There's less likely that someone's going to participate that and treat their child a certain way. A absolutely. Um, you know, and reporting is really essential. It's key. It's mandatory, obviously, too. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, from my own example, I know that there were many adults in my hometown who knew or suspected uh, mm -hmm. that there was child abuse and neglect going on in my house, and yet no one reported that. Um, yeah. And I'm aware of no one reported that. And so we have to be able to do that. Um, in schools, we have to be more trauma-sensitive. Um, and that's something that we focused on a lot the last two or three years uh, in Henderson County Schools. So, you know, having a shared understanding of what trauma is, how trauma affects kids, how we can mm -hmm. do and say things in a classroom setting, uh, in a school setting that could re-traumatize a child unintentionally. Uh, for example, like, you know, making sure teachers understand that if a child has lost a parent, um, a mom, let's say, and it's uh, close to Mother's Day and so you want to do a project with your classroom, you know, making flower pots for, you know, your mom, recognizing ahead of time that those, those activities and things you do with kids that can adversely affect them if you don't, if you don't frame it um, so that it, it doesn't. So, you know, mm -hmm. pulling that child aside or having the more general conversation about we're going to do something positive for the female in our lives or for the loving person in our lives or, you know, just mm -hmm. speaking that language. Um, you know, I think that we can help kids. We can talk to kids about turning negatives into positives. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen some research out of North Carolina that talks about that, you know, like taking that very negative situation and reframing something positive out of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that a lot of survivors do intuitively. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that, you know, I, I did um, in that, you know, I believe firmly that I work with kids today. I do the things that I do today because of where I come from. So instead of seeing that as a negative thing, I see that as a positive thing, as a gift uh, mm -hmm. that's enabled me to work with kids. I think we, uh, kids with coping skills, uh, kids who come out of abuse neglect situations typically don't have the best coping skills you know right. because you go back to you don't know what you don't know and so sure. if you're growing up in a family where there aren't a lot of positive coping skills um, you know where are you gonna get those so mm -hmm. I think that's one way in school where we can really have a big impact um, in helping kids learn more positive coping skills uh, having you know teaching them about meanest meaning focused coping skills mm -hmm. um, I think that we need to do things to help kids learn how to bounce back, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I think resilience. You know, kind yeah, of teaching kids empathy. You know, about building resilience, having a go-to person, whoever that is, making sure that they're positively connected to an adult. Teaching problem-solving skills. There's a lot of things that we can do with kids without having to go through the 
the horror of what they went through, you know, but sure. we can help them move forward. Um, and again, that's just kind of where I go back to, you know, where we come from has everything to do with where we're at, but it doesn't dictate where we're going. Mm -hmm. I think so many of our kids, they don't know that. They just don't know it. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know it. Um, yeah, right. How could you? And so as adults, just being able to recognize that and, you know, if we're working with kids, trying not to allow yourself to get frustrated because when you work with kids who have been through abuse and trauma, they can, you know, they will try um, because they feel like it's going to fall apart, you know, and I talked about that earlier. So mm -hmm. They're just be being that constant, mm -hmm. yeah, being that constant steady person. Um, so it's very helpful. So uh, I think trauma is often related to some of those big events like the ones that you talked about that you experienced yes. personally. Um, could you um, comment, comment on possible traumas that may exist within um, households and um, where it's possibly not uh, sexual abuse or physical abuse or, you know, just um, absolutely insulting, but there may be some, uh, trauma that children are experiencing from and parents don't realize that realize that or um, absolutely um, you know I think there are several things you know if you go back to the ACE study they looked at not only abuse and neglect as you just mentioned um, they also looked at um, parental incarceration you know separation yeah. from a parent they looked at addiction issues uh, mm -hmm. they looked at domestic violence related issues um, they looked at, um, so secondhand, you know, secondhand trauma absolutely. in a way, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, the thing I think it's important about trauma is you can't really compare traumas. You know, you can't say that sexual abuse is worse than emotional abuse, for example, right. um, because everybody experiences abuse in their own way and mm -hmm. they have their own individual reactions to it. Um, so, you know, abuse can be as simple as, or uh, a child perceiving abuse, it could be emotional abuse. You know, it could be, you know, wow, you are, you know, you really need to stop eating those cookies because mm. you're really getting heavy and, you yeah. know, and I'm worried about that. And, you know, that in and of itself um, is not abuse. But if there's a pattern where you're making a child feel bad about who they are, you know, their negative self-perception, you know, that can be damaging to a child. Right. Yeah. And just, just because it's not reportable type of abuse doesn't mean it's not creating a, a trauma within a child. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and so, you know, you get stuck in reporting sometimes, you know, the big things we look for when we have to do mandatory reporting, obviously, is abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are the biggies, right? And But so many other things can happen that really deteriorate a child's view of themselves um, and, and who they are and what their contribution to the world can be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really important to for kids to know that they have value and that they have worth um, and that all kids have strengths and that we need to play off of those strengths instead of looking at all the deficits that they might come with. Sure. Yeah, that strength-based treatment is really important, especially for kids pointing out what they are good at rather than what they're not good at. Let's say that there's someone listening to this program and they have experienced some 
childhood trauma and they're noticed maybe this is impacting my relationships today uh, and some other things. What kind of suggestion would you have for them to, um, to be better, to get better? Sure. Um, you know, I think sharing that, um, you know, if they haven't already shared that with a, a trusted person in their mm -hmm. lives, whoever that might be, um, if they have already taken that step, then maybe thinking about that next step of, you know, getting some professional help to kind mm -hmm. of, you know, delve into that and work through it. It's really scary for survivors of abuse to go through that. I know that, you know, myself, when I was, uh, uh, I have a talk with myself before I went, like, I'm not crying today, I'm not crying today, I'm not crying today, because, you know, it's hard, it's hard stuff. Um, it's yeah. hard stuff, you know. I'm laughing because I've heard, I've heard people tell me that I told myself I wasn't going to cry today. Yes. Kind of stuff. Yeah, right, right. Yes. So, you know, it's really hard stuff, but, but taking that step and, you know, maybe seeking out a professional to have that conversation with. Um, if, if you're more spiritually based, you know, there are, um, you know, spiritual um, routes that you can take in terms of going to like your local church. You know, there are some therapists and counselors, um, who work in churches too. So that might be another route, but just really exploring that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's heavy. I mean, and there are lots of ways that you can do that. You know, there are self-help guides that you can buy getting that out there. I think one thing that I have found, and I think it's probably common for survivors is the more that you talk about it, the more that you deal with it, the more that you see, um, you know, you can make the connections like, oh, wow, that's why I do that. Or that's why I mm -hmm. think that, you know, then the more able you're, you are to heal, um, mm -hmm. to move beyond and past it and, you know, hopefully come to a place where you use it um, as a positive thing, um, you know, trying to help other people get through it. Yes. Um, you know, but, but doing the work is scary. That's the scariest part, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what stops a lot of people in their tracks. Mm -hmm. So just recognizing that it's going to be hard. It's going to be super, super hard. It's going to be really scary. But on the other side of it, wow, things are so much better. Things mm -hmm. are so much better. So, right. you know, and, and that's the light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Sure. Yeah, that's... That's good. And you, you kind of uh, did this a little bit there at the end, but I was going to ask, um, you know, what it means when you've worked through it. You know, people will say, okay, I need to, to go to therapy and work through this. Well, how do you know that you've worked through it or what should you expect um, as someone who's done the sure. work? I mean, I think everyone's, litmus test might be a little bit different sure. um, but I know I know for myself personally um, working through it meant healthier relationships um, mm -hmm. with people that I love that I know healthier friendships uh, it has meant um, you know not carrying around that negative view of the world mm -hmm. uh, it has meant not thinking that, you know, everything's going to fall apart, you know, just over time, you know, those things change for you and you start believing that positive things can happen. You start believing that, you know, all people aren't trying to hurt you, you know, as you start right. having those changes in yourself, that's when you know, like, oh, wow. Yeah, I've really, um, and when you can talk about it and you don't fall apart, mm -hmm. um, you know, you will know 
as you start moving through it, you will know. But boy, it's it's crummy at, at mm. the time in the mix, but it really is worth it. Yeah. So some th- some key things is self awareness. I think Absolutely. about maybe this is part of the contributing factor to why I've had problems in relationships. Um, noticing that your relationships are improving, uh, being able to be more positive about the world in general and um, being able to take those and reframe them into something better for, for who you are. Um, would you say, uh, would you add forgiveness to that, to that list, being able to forgive and let go of resentment? Ooh, boy, that's a great question. Um, I think it's really important. Um, I know with my mom, uh, she died about nine years ago and, um, there were several years in between where we had no connection um, mm-hmm. because she had legally given up her right to be my parent, you know, and, and so we were apart for a long time, probably the last eight or 10 years she was alive. Um, when I let go of the idea that she would, she was never going to be the parent that I wanted her to be, um, but to take her for who she was, mm-hmm. you know, when I let go of that, things got a lot better. Um, so, you know, I let go of that idea of, you know, what I thought a mom should be. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, latched onto the relationship that I could have. Mm-hmm. Um, then things improved vastly. So, and forgiveness obviously came with that. Right. Um, and so at the time that she died, like we were really good. We were really in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my biological father I have chosen not to have a relationship with him the last, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years of my life, but I'm, but I'm okay with that. Um, and I don't obsess or ruminate about it, mm-hmm. um, where I did a lot, you know, when I was significantly younger. Um, and I've just have chosen, and this is just for me, I've just chosen, um, you know, that sexual abuse is that line for me. Um, and that I choose not to forgive him. Um, but I, but I definitely made a conscious choice to forgive my mom. And I think that's just something that survivors have to, you know, address individually and, you know, make mm-hmm. those decisions. But, you know, we ended up having a good relationship. It was, it was awesome. It was great. Um, mm-hmm. and it was very freeing yeah. you know, to let go of that anger and hurt and, you know, why can't you be who I think you should be and mm-hmm. just accept you for who you are. Sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've definitely have done the work and forgiveness can mean different things for different people. So um, you've, you've gotten to where you can and what what works for you. So um, I want to make sure I commend you for doing the work that you've done and being able to turn it around and pay it forward to helping kids who may be suffering through trauma and presenting your story to those and providing inspiration as, um, as much as you can ask of somebody. So I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you joining me today on this episode. All right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much, Jamie. You have a good day. Thanks, Justin. You too. This has been Mapping Healthy Minds. And I am your host, Justin Lewis. Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health, and we believe that taking care of it can't wait. 
You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Currently, there is a free listener resource. Just uh, click on a link that is present in the show notes. In the the resource is an ebook called Ten Questions to Ask Before Starting Counseling. If you are enjoying Mapping Healthy Minds, feel free to drop by the podcast app and leave us a review. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram and get some latest updates on the topics and guests that we cover on the show. Also, if you enjoy the show, uh, tell someone else about it. It's a, it's a great way for us to impact more people. So until next time, we all have mental health. How's yours? How's yours?